month of July was the busiest month I've had in 38 years of ministry. And from July 4th all the way until the end of the first week of August, I put 10,000 miles plus on my car. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, we were all over the United States of America preaching at various events. And then uh, I was up in Pennsylvania for what's called the Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference, the 103rd edition, 103 years that conference has been going on. It's the longest continuous operating Bible conference of its kind in the entire United States of America. And I didn't realize how much I had been giving and expending. And that week I lost my voice. And by Friday night, I was struggling just to get the message out. But I've had a couple of weeks off and my voice is back to 100%. So you're going to be here for about three hours today. Okay, I just want you to know that because I hadn't been able to talk much joking about that, of course, but it is a blessing and a delight and an honor to be at Calvary. I love this church, love your pastor and his sweet wife, their wonderful family. You are blessed to have him as your pastor. You are blessed to have them as those leading you here at Calvary. And boy, what a wonderful team God has put together here. All the guys on the staff, even those that are new on the staff, had a chance to meet that young man today. What a blessing what a delight and honor that is, and uh, you're just richly, richly blessed here at Calvary, and it's my delight and honor to be able to be here. Can I just bring you some good news about what's going on in our nation? Is that okay if I do that? I know if you're watching the news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're not uh, predominantly going to focus on that, which is good, and they're certainly not going to focus on anything, for the most part, that's godly, but I want you to understand God's still alive and well in the United States of America. He just is. I'm just going to be candid. He's alive and well, it's not that we don't have problems. It's not that we don't have the most serious problems that we've ever had in your lifetime and mine. No, we do. But I want you to understand God has been good at solving people's problems and solving national problems since the beginning of time. And God is still alive and well. And I'll just share this with you. Back uh, in uh, November of last year, we did something that we had never done before. In fact, well, one other time we did something similar to it. But I don't know if any of you have seen this uh, series on the life of Christ called The Chosen. Any of you seen that? Know what I'm talking about? Uh, boy, some of those episodes, the one on Peter is just, just masterful. Uh, just open mouth, insert foot. That's just basically the way Peter was, wasn't he? But anyway, some of those, uh, some of those programs are just absolutely phenomenal. But um, we were able to screen the Christmas episode of The Chosen for members of Congress. And I won't tell you how all that came about, but I will tell you this, uh, when the folks at The Chosen found out uh, all that we were doing, they sent the man who portrays Jesus in that series to Washington, D.C. His name is Jonathan Rumi, and uh, he arrived at the United States Capitol, and folks, I'm just going to be honest with you, it, it's pretty cool to walk through the Capitol building with Jesus right beside you. It's just pretty cool to do that. Get on an elevator, Pastor, and a congressman look up, look over, I know you, you're Jesus. And Jonathan very humbly said, no, 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 I'm not Jesus at all. I just portray him in the series, but it's pretty neat uh, to have that. And I'll tell you what also was pretty neat. Members of Congress normally uh, want people to maybe write their autograph, not, not all the time, some people do. If they're good people, good guys, and there are some good guys on the Hill, uh, but they'll hang around people, will to meet them, shake their hand, maybe get an autograph from them. What was awesome to me was this, to see a long line of members of Congress waiting to have their picture made with the man who portrays Jesus in The Chosen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? They understand there's something more important and someone the true and living God that Jonathan Rumi portrays in that series. There's someone vastly more important than any of those people that get so much attention, whether for good or for bad on Capitol Hill. 
And it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. So great was that evening that I called our son, Nathan. I said, buddy, I think we've hit on something. I said, why don't we start something after the first of the year? Uh, why don't we start in January as quickly as we can thereafter? Why don't we do something called Capital Concert Series? And let's invite in some uh, committed gospel musicians that will be willing to do a concert just for members of Congress. And so we've started doing that, and uh, I could stand here for 30 minutes and tell you all the things that God has done. I'm not going to do that, but I'll just tell you this. The Lord's alive and well on Capitol Hill. And then at the end of July, the last week of July, and I think this is one of the reasons why I lost my voice, uh, we took about 200 people to Washington, D.C. on a tour of all the monuments and uh, uh, the Capitol building, the Supreme Court, and introduced them to members of Congress and so on. But we did it along with a young man that I've grown to greatly appreciate, and that is actor Kirk Cameron. How many of you know who Kirk Cameron is? In fact, during the COVID years, uh, he just took a camera or a, um, a video device and sat in his own backyard and just uh, around a campfire, just started sharing scripture and trying to lead as many people as would tune in in prayer, and he called it the American Campfire Revival. And God just used that in a powerful way. Millions of people began tuning in to listen to what Kurt had to say. And so what we did the last week of July is uh, we invited him to Washington, D.C., and we did an American campfire revival in our nation's capital at Constitution Hall. Can I hear an amen right there? And it was absolutely amazing. And uh, the Lord did some phenomenal things. I, I wish I had time to, to share all that God did. Maybe I'll dot each service with a little bit, sprinkling a little bit about what's going on, maybe show you a few video clips of what God's been up to. But what was amazing was to sit in the office of the man who will probably be come November, actually it'll be January, but hopefully the change will take place at the hands of the American voters in November. Can you hear an amen right there? I'm praying for vast change in November. You say, preacher, why? Let me tell you, here's one of the reasons. One of the reasons is the man that I believe is going to be the next speaker of the House of Representatives, Lord willing, I said in his office the last week of July, we had gotten 15 minutes with him, and my son told me, he said, Dad, you'll know how engaged he is with what you're talking about by how many of his paintings he shows you. Uh, behind this gentleman's desk, there's a painting of the 40th president of the United States of America, Ronald Wilson Reagan. To the left of this gentleman's desk, there's a painting of the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, and because he is the minority leader in the House of Representatives currently, there are a series of offices that are down the hall, but all of them connected in a kind of a complex type format to his office, and each of those offices of his staff members have multiple paintings, and Nathan said, Dad, you'll know, you'll know how much he is interested in what you're saying to him by how many of his paintings he shows you. Well, I want to tell you this, I got the entire, the entire tour, I saw every single painting in there, and what was supposed to be 15 minutes stretched into 45 minutes. And for 45 minutes in the house of the man, or rather the office of the man, I believe will be the next speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, all we talked about was the gospel, truth, and the future of the United States of America. The gospel, truth, and the future of the United States of America. Listen, folks, if we don't get back to the gospel and the truth in the United States, we don't have a future. We just don't have one. And what was amazing to me is to listen to the man's personal testimony that I'd never had the chance to listen to. And preacher, he told me this. He said, I attend a Baptist church in my home state of California. I did not know that. And from everything I heard from him, it's a, it's a good church. It preaches the gospel and preaches the truth and preaches the word. 
And another member of Congress said this earlier in the day. He said, I believe, I believe that gentleman has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe he's born again. But we who have been praying for him as our leader in the House of Representatives, we believe he's on the verge of a spiritual breakthrough. And after spending 45 minutes with him, I would concur with that. God's doing something in the hearts and in the minds of our leaders. And I'll tell you why God's doing it. Because we've never been really where we are right now. You know what? We know that. We know that America's in trouble. We know that the answer to America's ills is not in the D or in the R. The answer's in the J. It's in Jesus Christ. We know that. You're in a church where you're preach the word of God every week, multiple times a week. You know the answer is Jesus in this book right here that I'm gonna preach from in just a few seconds. But what's awesome is this, when members of Congress begin to understand that, that we're at a place right now that there is no political answer for it. Folk, when we start giving away money to the tune of ten to 20000 and they want to give away 50000 uh, to those people that have uh, procured loans and they ought to be forgiven. Can, I saw this on Facebook. I thought it was great. My home mortgage now identifies as a student loan. That's what somebody posted. Think about that one for just a minute. My home mortgage now identifies as a student loan. So that ought to be forgiven as well, all right? Listen, when we get to that place, we're in trouble in the United States of America. Now, I'm not trying to be political, but folk, here's the deal. We know the answer is Jesus. But when members of Congress begin to understand that we're at a place that there is no political answer, there's only a spiritual answer, that's a good thing. Would you agree with me? That's an amazing thing. And since I was here uh, a year or so ago, God has done some phenomenal things. For five years, we have prayed, God, would you give us 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week access to the United States Capitol buildings and to all the House and Senate office buildings that line the streets on either side of the United States Capitol, give us 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week access. But the only way you get that kind of access is if you have what is called a staff badge or a staff pass. And if you have one of those, the only way you can get one of those is you actually become, of sorts, an unpaid member uh, of a staff of a particular member of Congress. And what that means is they add you on, you're considered a part of their staff, uh, you uh, can meet with them and you have meetings with them and you provide input of all kinds to them, but you're not paid. And uh, that's the only way you can get one of those staff passes. Otherwise, whenever you go into the building, you have to go through airport-style security. You have to go through all the things that you go through at an airport, which is really uh, kind of humorous now, a lot of it. But anyway, the bottom line is we've been praying for five years for that. And about six months ago, seven months ago actually, the Lord provided that to our staff. Can I hear an amen right there? Two members of Congress stepped up in great appreciation for the ministry we have to them and to all the others there on Capitol Hill and said, we'd love to give you a staff badge or staff privileges. And so now, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, we can go into the United States Capitol building or any of the ancillary office buildings that are on either side of Capitol Hill. All of that to minister to members of Congress in a more effective and powerful way. And then I'll tell you one final thing as I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. A lot of things happened during COVID. And um, a lot of things uh, that happened were very unpleasant. Uh, but some things that happened during the COVID time was very, very positive. And one of the things that we thought was going to be negative initially 
was, uh, I remember the day vividly when Nathan called me and he said, Dad, we got a problem. I said, what's up? He said, well, the mayor of Washington, D.C. has now implemented a policy that if you are in a shared space, that is, you have an office in a shared space, uh, you have to be vaccinated to get into that building. Now, whether you chose to get vaccinated or not, that's all your choice. If you chose not to get vaccinated, that's your choice. Uh, what I believe in the United States of America is it ought to remain a choice. Can I hear an amen? It just ought to remain a choice. So anyway, whatever your choice is, uh, as you follow the leadership of the Lord, that's between you and God. It's just got to remain a choice. That's been my concern the entire time. Well, anyway, my, for my wife, and I'm not saying you should do this or this is what you have to do. I'm not saying you're wrong if you did otherwise. I'm just saying for my wife and I, uh, we prayed about it and sought the mind of God about it. We just felt like for us, for us, that uh, we didn't either one of us need to get vaccinated. Now, I did not impose that on the rest of our staff. I just said, you guys, you, you're, you're, you and your wives, your spouses, you need to pray and talk to the Lord and you need to determine what God wants you to do. And once you determine that, you're not gonna hear another word from me about it. Uh, you just do what you feel God leads you to do. It's a choice and we ought to have a choice in the matter. Well, all of them decided of their own volition that they didn't believe they ought to be vaccinated and so nobody on our staff is vaccinated. So Nathan said, Dad, we got a problem. We're not going to be able to get into our own office facility because it is a shared space. We used to have an office right behind the United States Supreme Court. We outgrew that, had to move several blocks down from there into a shared space building. And so when Muriel Bowser implements this policy, uh, Nathan was calling me and saying, Dad, we got 30 days. We're going to find something else in 30 days. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, buddy, I, I do know this. We're going to pray and trust the Lord. And so we began to pray, and God did an amazing thing. Can I show you how God works? We literally had a gentleman step up and say, uh, I love what you guys do more than I can tell you. I'm supportive of what your ministry is doing. And he said, I'd like you to have uh, the building that I own as your office space. Now, literally, folk, if you walk out of that building down the sidewalk and stand on the sidewalk and look to the right, you're literally looking at the United States Capitol building one block away. Can I hear an amen right there? Here's the caveat on that though. Nathan said, dad, uh, that place normally rents. Are you ready for this? It normally rents for $4,000 a month. I said to my son, who in their right mind would rent anything for $4,000 a month? We cannot afford $4,000 a month. And even if we could, I wouldn't be inclined at all to pay that for, for a rented space. And so Nathan said, well, dad, the gentleman doesn't want $4,000 a month. What he said he wanted is just pay him what we're paying now for the shared space. I said, now, hang on a minute. That's not fair because we're only paying $675 a month for the shared space. So that wouldn't be fair to that guy. So I said, no, we're not going to be doing that either. And so preacher, I started doing something I've never done in my life. My dad come out of the grave and get me. If he knew I was doing this, I started negotiating up. I have never done that before. My wife said, what's gotten into you? I said, well, honey, we got to be fair to the gentleman who wants us to have the space. And so I, I said, no, we're not going to pay 675. That wouldn't be fair to you. He said to me, he said, preacher, listen to me. He said, just pay me what you can pay me. I said, no, we're not going to do that either. That wouldn't be fair to you as well. So I continued negotiating up until he said, stop, stop. We're not going any further. End of discussion. That's what you pay me per month. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's way less than 4,000 a month. Can I hear an amen right there? And now we're literally one block from the United States Capitol. Ain't God good? I know the English is not correct, but the, the theology is we serve an awesome God, don't we? And so it's been amazing, and we've been able to utilize that office space for members of Congress actually to come there 
And whether we're there or whether we're not, some key members of Congress that are very close to us that we respect and have tremendous confidence in have been able to come and use that space uh, for private study, to make phone calls, to, uh, to meet with folks that they need to meet with. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so the door is wide open for us right now in Washington, D.C. And if you think I'm excited, you don't know the half of it. And I'll show you a little bit maybe tonight over the course of the next three nights following tonight a little bit more of what God's up to so that hopefully you'll be encouraged. Listen, folk, we sit on the very precipice of revival or ruin. There really is no middle ground anymore. It's either revival or ruin. And really, that's where it is for God's church. We've got to have revival, and I'm praying we have a nationwide revival. I know you guys had a local revival right here uh, a number of months back, and I followed that with great interest. Had your pastor on radio uh, at least one time to talk about what God was doing through that revival. But folks, what I'm praying is, is that not just locally, but nationally, our nation will be touched by God's sovereign hand once again. And I want you to understand this. Many, many times, my brother's the historian. He's reminded me of this more times than I can tell you. He said, Dave, spiritual movements and political movements sometimes move in parallel tracks. And he said, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Many, many times when a nation politically gets to a bad place, it is that stimulus that God uses to cause there to be a spiritual awakening in that nation. And so, folks, where we are right now means we're ripe for revival in the United States of America. So this meeting this week could not be more strategic than it is right now. I love America revival, and folk, I do love America. She's not perfect, but she's the best piece of real estate on God's green earth. And my wife and I just returned from out in Lava Hot Springs, Idaho. We took about five days to go out there, and we did some, uh, some rafting and some tubing and a lot of hiking, and they got zip lining and all that kind of stuff out there, and that's what we do in our downtime is we just go and enjoy the outdoors and I told my wife, I said, you think about how blessed we are to fly from North Carolina to Salt Lake City, Utah, rent a car, drive two hours to Lava Hot Springs, Idaho, and then drive anywhere we want to drive, go anywhere we want to go, do anything that we want to do that's not breaking the law or not inappropriate or immoral, and we have the liberty and freedom in the United States of America to do it. Think how blessed we are in this country. And you know what? For many of us, for many of us, and especially for those that are younger, and this is not a put down of the younger, but please understand, the younger generation assumes that what we have in this country right now, we've always had. And the fact of the matter is, we've not always had it. We had to fight to get it, and there's periodic times we've had to fight to keep it. And we may have to do that again. I don't relish that thought at all. But liberty has to be won and then it has to be protected, and at times, it has to be defended. Otherwise, the generations that follow us will not know anything like what we've known. And I don't know about you, but I want my children and grandchildren to enjoy just a little bit at least. I'd love to see them enjoy all of it, but I want them to at least enjoy a little of that which I've enjoyed, that which you've enjoyed in these United States of America. So we're at a critical time right now, pivotal time right now, and so if I could encourage you, again, not being political, but if you're not registered to vote, you need to get registered and fulfill your civic responsibility. But more importantly, I believe a biblical responsibility to be involved in the process. Again, this is not the sermon, but folk, I hear it all the time. Uh, preachers shouldn't be involved in the political. 
And my brother's pastor says this, what is there to be involved in? That's what he asked, you know. He said, there's a lot to be involved in. And I took my Bible down, and I'm not going to show you today, but I just started going through the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, and considered how many times preachers were called, prophets were called, men of God were called, and they were called to address the nation. They were called to address political leaders. By the way, your pastor taught Sunday school this morning. Powerful, powerful Sunday school time. Did a lot of preaching as well as teaching in Sunday school. But I want you to look sometime. Don't do it now. Look at Jeremiah 5, 5, where Jeremiah said, I'm going to go and speak to the great men that have known thy word. See, there's people on Capitol Hill that have known God's word. But boy, they've forgotten it. And what we need to do is remind them of it. And we need to call a nation back to our understanding of what this country was founded upon and what we can one day be again if we'll turn back to the Lord in repentance and humility and faith in the Lord God of heaven. A lot more I could say, and I'll say a little more probably tonight and the rest of the week. But for now, I want you to look, if you would please, at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. As soon as you found it, look up at me if you would please. In 1940... The name Saipan, Iwo Jima, Samoya, Batan, and Corregidor meant very little to Americans. They were nothing more at that time to us than God-forsaken pieces of real estate in the South Pacific. You see, to this end, God had been good and God had blessed America. Folk, we really had everything a nation could want. Men were standing on the street corners watching as the new cars rolled by while women were at home experimenting with mix masters and dishwashers and all kinds of newfangled electronic gadgetry. It was a great day. We cared nothing about war. We cared nothing about a man by the name of Adolf Hitler who was marching his way through Europe, making strange alliances, and then turning and coming back through and breaking every promise that he had made. While at the same time, halfway around the world, a man by the name of Hirohito thought it was time for his tiny nation of Japan to find its place under the sun. So in response to that, we equipped our men and we sent them into the South Pacific there to defend the islands, the dignity, and the freedom of the Filipino people. But sad was the day when on the 6th of April, 1940, the island of Bataan fell. Now, I was not alive then, but I've done a lot of reading on the entire situation. And folk, my understanding would be this. We just did not have at that time the men and the materials to logistically win the war. So General MacArthur did this. He said, I'm going to retreat from Bataan to the island of Corregidor. By the way, that island became known during the Second World War as the Crimson Rock, where literally thousands of gallons of American blood was shed. There on that island, the American soldiers dug themselves in. They entrenched themselves into the interior of that island and they held on with everything they had. But you see, the Japanese were fearless. They came with their airplanes and they bombed the infiltration camps and bombed the water supplies day and night, day and night, day and night till finally MacArthur saw it's useless to try to hold on any longer. So he decided, well, here's what we'll do. We're gonna retreat to Australia and there we're gonna regroup and we're gonna come back and we're gonna win in American style in a day and age, I might add, when American leadership fought wars to win wars. Can I hear an amen? amen? And this MacArthur decided he would do. That day as he announced to the Filipino people his intentions, preacher, he stood on the small flight ladder of a DC-3. He turned and looked into the fear-ridden faces of the Filipino people, people that are small in stature but very big in fight, and he said something that became very shortly thereafter a household word. 
He said, friends, I am going away. But just as sure as I go away, I will return. And those words were carried in banner print all across the free world. How the Filipino people waited and waited and looked and looked. By the way, some of them waited in concentration camps where they were beaten and bodily abused and many of them died. But those that lived waited and waited and looked and looked waiting for that day when that man who came from that utopia called America would fulfill his promise and return to set them free. Finally, one day, they heard something. It sounded to many of them like a thunderstorm, but folks, this was not a thunderstorm. This was the approaching crescendo of deliverance, and MacArthur had indeed kept his word. Momentarily, the skies were filled with airplanes, and under their wings were big blue stripes and bright red stars, and from those airplanes dropped paratroopers down onto the island of Bataan. Some of you that are older will remember the scene there at Iwo Jima where they planted that flag. And from there, ultimately, ultimately, into the mainland of Japan itself where the war was brought to a definite and very dramatic conclusion by the explosion of two atomic bombs. See, preacher, why are you telling us this? Folks, won't you listen to me? Almost 2,000 years ago, a small group of followers stood around their general, a man that they had followed for three and a half years. They did not know what was approaching. They did not know that Rome was getting ready to boil them and burn them as it would try to crush them under its iron heel. But Jesus knew all of it. And in John 14, he said this to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Can I hear an amen? Just as MacArthur made a promise, Jesus made a greater one. I'm going, but I'm coming back. This morning for a couple of minutes, I want you to look with me into the scripture. I want to preach to you on the any moment return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to call it this, the reality of the rapture. You say, preacher, why would you call it that? Look at your Bible, if you would, please. First Thessalonians chapter four. Let your eyes rest, if you would, please, on verse number 13. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the apostle Paul writes these words, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. By the way, asleep is a reference Paul uses many, many times to describe death. That you be not uh, concerning them which are asleep, that you be sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Watch carefully verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent. And by the word prevent means, in, in, in the Greek it means proceed or go before. We which are alive and remain shall not go before them which are asleep or those that have died. Well, why does Paul say that? Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Can I hear an amen right there? Some of you have lost loved ones, but they died knowing the Lord. They're going up first. My dad used to say this. Do you know why they're going up first, son? I said, I don't know. He said, well, they got at least six feet more to go than we do. So they're going to go. Maybe that's the reason, but the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Look at verse 17. Then... We which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Literally, it means this, to a meeting with the Lord in the air. 
As the songwriter said it, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and he takes me by the hand and leads me through that promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be to a meeting with the Lord in the air. Look at the rest of it. Verse 17, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now look at verse 18, wherefore comfort. The word comfort means encourage one another with these words. Folk, I want to be an encouragement to you today. But more important than that, if you don't know Christ, I want to be a challenge to you today to come to Jesus. You say, preacher, why? I want to show you two things about the reality of the rapture. Number one, I want you to see the coming of the Savior. The coming of the Savior. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trump of God, the coming of the Savior. Would you note the first thing about the coming of the Savior? Would you note who it is that's coming? Who it is that's coming? Do you understand the Bible says it is the Lord? Would you say the next word out loud? The Lord himself. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now, preacher, I'm just going to be honest. I love music. I love the choir today. It was absolutely amazing. One of these nights uh, this week, I'm going to play something for you that happened in Washington, D.C. The last week of July, there was a song that was sung that is my absolute, I think, all-time favorite song. Absolutely amazing. Sung by our son Nathan and three other guys forming a quartet. It was absolutely amazing. Can I say this to you? If the Bible said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are coming back singing a quartet and they're going to take us home to heaven, preacher, I'm just going to be honest, I'd be a little disappointed. Can I hear an amen? If the Bible said the Calvary Choir from Union Grove, North Carolina, has been singled out and they're going to come, Brother Dave, and they're going to sing you on your entrance into heaven. As much as I love the Calvary Choir, can I be honest? I'd be a little disappointed. Is everybody with me? Because the Bible says it's the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we're going home to be with the Lord. Have you thought about it? Jesus is coming back for us personally. This same Jesus. Do you remember what was told the disciples? Acts 1, they watched Jesus ascend out of their sight into heaven. An angel appears to them and says, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Listen to the wording. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Listen, it is this same Jesus that's coming back to take us home. Which Jesus, preacher? Pastor, the same one that walked the lonely streets of Galilee? The same Jesus that turned the water into wine at his first miracle at a marriage in a place called Cana of Galilee? It's the same Jesus that the Bible says walked the lowly streets. Same Jesus that stood over a brow of a hill, overlooked the city of Jerusalem, and uttered these words with a broken heart. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but ye would not. It's that same Jesus. It's the same Jesus coming back for us that the Bible says was taken by wicked hands and was crucified. It's the same Jesus. Pastor, my Bible tells me that they platted for him a crown of thorns. By the way, if you've been to Israel and seen this, you'll understand. Never will I forget my two journeys to the Holy Land. Never will I forget the day when a man stepped onto our bus and held up a crown of thorns. 
made out of thorns that grow in the Middle East. And by the way, I don't mean thorns about this tall. I mean some of those were as long as a 20-penny nail. He said to even weave this, it destroys your hands, scars your hands, cuts your hands open to make one of these. But he said they would take this and place it on the brow of the victim and they did that to Jesus. And the Bible says they took a reed or a rod and they began to beat on that crown of thorns and drove that crown of thorns down into the brow and sometimes perhaps even penetrates the skull of the victim. No wonder the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, Jesus' visage, his facial features were so marred that he wasn't even recognizable as a human being. It is this same Jesus that's coming back for us. It's the same Jesus that they forced him to carry his cross up Golgotha's hill. It's the same Jesus that after being up all night back and forth between Pilate and Herod, back and forth, no sleep, stumbled beneath the weight of that heavy cross. By the way, it is estimated those crosses could weigh upwards of 250 pounds. Can I suggest something to you? These pictures that we have on the walls, I understand what they're trying to do, of Jesus with a perfect complexion and he looks almost like a woman and he looks thin. Can I tell you, that is not my Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter's son. I believe his body was muscled up from working in a carpenter shop. And yet the Bible says this, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, it means this, Jesus looked like an ordinary man. He wasn't Brad Pitt incarnate. He looked like most of us. It's this Jesus that stumbled beneath the weight of the cross and they summoned a man named Simon of Serene, most likely a black man, by the way, to come in and complete the journey to the brow of Calvary's hill. It's this same Jesus that's coming back for us that they stretched his arms out and nailed him to an old rugged cross. And again, I'm not trying to just be cantankerous this morning, but all the pictures show the nails through the palm of his hand. Folk, most likely that's not how it happened. Most likely they drove the spike through the wrist. This would pull through instantaneously anytime any weight was put on it. But drive it through the wrist joint. That would slide and then it'd reach the wrist joint and stop. That's where they nailed Jesus to the cross. It's the same Jesus they overlapped his feet and drove one spike so it came out the heel of his second foot. It's the same Jesus that every time he had to take a breath, had to push up and pull with those spikes driven into his wrist to take a breath. It's the same Jesus that on that cross uttered this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As they gambled over his garment, a garment woven without seam from the top to the bottom. Folk, please listen to me. When a member of Congress, if I called his name, you'd know him. You've seen him on TV. Ask me this, preacher. Preacher, he said, there's a member of my own party that's lied to me and lied about me. And I've gone to them and he said, something happened in an election. He said, I've apologized for saying something that I thought was true but found out it wasn't. He said, the candidate, the, 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 the member of Congress has forgiven me, but some of his staff will not. He said, I got a question for you. How do I respond to that? He said, do I forgive them for the lies they're continuing to tell? Or do I have to wait for them to come and ask for forgiveness? I said, Congressman, that's a great question. I said, I want to direct your attention 
to Luke 23, 34. You don't have to turn, folks, just listen. But to him I said this. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus is hanging on the cross, nailed there, and his own creation is gambling over a garment that they've stripped off of him. And Jesus looks down at them and he utters this, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I said, sir, I want to remind you of something. I'm not trying to impress you. But I said, the English word forgive comes from the Greek word that means to relieve, to release, to put away fully, to cancel, to pardon. I said, can I explain to you what that means? Jesus is looking down at people that are doing him wrong. And what he's saying is this, Father, I'm releasing this. Don't hold it to their account. Are you listening to me? I said, sir, your question is, do I forgive them now or do I wait till they come and ask for forgiveness? I said, can I suggest to you, you can forgive them now. In this sense, let go of it. Sir, I don't, ma'am, I don't care what's going on. Sir, between you and your spouse, ma'am, between you and your husband, I don't know what's going on, but you keep carrying that and it'll destroy you. Let it go. Release it, sir. Put it away fully. From your vantage point, as was true with Jesus, he let it go. I said, now here's the great news. If at some point they come under conviction for their wrongdoing, and they do come to you and ask for forgiveness, I said, at that point, the circle of forgiveness can be complete. But from your vantage point, it can be over and done today. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yes, By the way, that's true in anything. Jesus let that incident go. But for those people that gambled over his garment to be saved and eternally forgiven, they have to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Are you with me? Then the circle of forgiveness becomes complete in salvation. Is everybody listening to me? But from your vantage point when you've been wronged, let it go. It's this same Jesus that was lifted up on that cross and dropped into a pre-dug hole. The same Jesus that the Bible says every bone of his body was out of joint but not one bone broken. It's this same Jesus that they took off that cross and they put in a tomb that was not his own. By the way, I've been in that tomb twice. Preacher, have you been there? It's amazing, isn't it? Over in this corner is the spot where they believe Jesus' body was laid. By the way, there's a spot, if you saw it, preacher, where they've dug out in the wall to accommodate the foot of a a person that would lie there. It's believed that Jesus was maybe taller than the average Jewish person. And one of those reasons, not just proof in and of itself, they believe this was the spot because they dug it out to make room for a taller person. It's this same Jesus that was placed in that tomb. But three days and three nights later, he raised himself from the dead victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Can I hear an amen? It's the same Jesus that's now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession daily for you and for me that know him as Savior. It's this same Jesus that's coming back for us. Who's coming? This same Jesus. I want you to see how he's coming. I'm not gonna have you turn for sake of time. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Can I hear an amen? Amen. By the way, I used to think that meant the batting of an eye, the blinking of an eye. Literally, the word, the twinkling of an eye, the word means in Greek, the sparkling of an eye. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Sir, have you ever looked, or ma'am, have you ever looked at your husband? And just say to him, you got that twinkle in your eye. 
And then you realize it's the sun reflecting off his bifocals. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Do you know back in the 70s, Westinghouse tried to measure the refraction or the sparkle of light refracting off the human eye and how quickly it occurs? Preacher, they came up with some ridiculous measurement, something like 15 one-hundredths of a second. That's faster than a blink. In fact, that's so fast, you can barely even note it. Is everybody listening to me? How Jesus is coming back is in the sparkling of an eye. That's so fast, friend, you won't have time to think. Preacher, why are you telling us that? Because an arrogant man told me this. Preacher, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till my last few conscious seconds of existence having lived my life the way I choose to live it. I'm going to party, I'm going to drink, I'm going to be immoral, but in my last few conscious moments, I'll cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy, just like the thief on the cross. I said, sir, you're wrong on two accounts to think that way. He said, how do you figure? I said, well, number one, just being honest with you, not trying to be the bearer of bad tidings, but you may not be conscious the last few moments of your life. And number two, the Bible says Jesus is coming back in that event we call the rapture faster than that in the sparkling of an eye. And I gave him the 15 one hundredths of a second illustration. I said, that's so fast, you're not gonna have time to think, much less cry out. So sir, you're being very foolish. And may I say to you, friend, if you're not sure you're going to heaven 100% sure, you need to get saved. Preacher, I'll put it off. Not only does the Bible nowhere encourage, much less condone, delaying a spiritual decision, the Bible says the exact opposite. In fact, the scripture says over and over again, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't you put it off. Don't you harden your heart. This is a decision that needs to be made now. Why? Part of the reason is this. When Jesus comes, he comes and he's gone. And it's faster than that. We which know the Lord are going up to be with him. The coming of the Savior. Number two, and we're done. I want you to see this. Look at verse 17. What I'm going to call the kidnapping of the saints. The kidnapping of the saints. Look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain, the dead in Christ going first, then we which are alive and remain shall be, note these three words, caught up together, caught up together. Would you help me for just a second, brother? Would you come up and help me for just a minute? Stand right here, face me, hold that hymn book. Just face me right here. Caught up together. Not trying to impress you, but the words caught up together, three words in English, come from one Greek word, and the Greek word is harpazo. We which are alive and remain shall be harpazoed together. Do you know the word harpazo means to seize by force? To seize by force. The only difference between Jesus seizing us out of this earth and what I just did, I seized horizontally. Jesus is going to seize us vertically and we're going out of this earth. Can I hear an amen? Faster than the blinking of an eye. Thank you, brother, so much. That's so fast, friend. You're not going to have time to make a decision. You ever thought about this preacher? I'm trekking on my hiking trail in Lava Hot Springs, Idaho, and 
Jesus comes. Do you know that means this? I may have inhaled down here. I'm going to have to exhale in heaven because he comes that fast. Are you with me? You ever thought about this? Football player on the football field lines up as a wide out, runs a post pattern, catches the football. Jesus comes. Rather than crossing the end line, he's going to be kicking up gold dust in heaven. Can I hear an amen? And everybody in the stadium didn't know the Lord. Where did he go? Man, I knew Tariq was fast. I didn't know he was that fast. <laughs> hey, can you imagine a soccer player playing soccer the day Jesus is going to come back and he draws his leg back to kick the ball into the goal and the rapture occurs and he finishes his swing in heaven. May kick Peter on the shin. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> you say, preacher, you're being silly. No, I'm not. The kidnapping of the saints is so fast that and it's done. And here's the heartbreaking part. Those that are not saved are going to be left behind. Pastor, I don't think there's any two more tragic words in the entire English language when put together than the two words left behind. Left behind to watch everything go crazy. Left behind after the rapture to watch a personality the Bible merely identifies as the Antichrist. Who is he, preacher? What's his name? The Bible doesn't tell us his name. It just gives him this description, the Antichrist, anti-against Christos Christ. He comes opposed to Jesus Christ, presenting himself instead of Jesus Christ. Folk, I believe this. We're so close to the rapture. Whoever this dude, Antichrist, is, he's probably alive somewhere right now. You may have heard his name, and so may have I, on the news. He's just not yet been identified as who he's ultimately going to be. But he's going to come on the scene. And those that are left behind are going to listen to him and observe him as he says this. Excuse me, world populace, but to buy and sell from this point on, you're going to have to take a mark in your right hand or in your forehead and listen to the motivation. You don't buy or sell without my mark. Now, folks, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but it does need to be noted. I believe COVID got us so ready for this. Do any of you remember walking into stores? Oh, oh excuse me, sir. Excuse me, a guy said in Valley Hills Mall, no mask. No mask, so you can't shop in this store. I said, well, thank you so much. I know it's corporate that's telling you to tell me that, so I'm not angry at you. I'm not even angry at them. But I can do this because it's still America. I can choose to shop elsewhere. So I did. You know, it got real scary when they started enforcing that if you work for this airline or you work for this government agency or if you're in the United States military, you've got to take an injection. Into, preacher, it was a vaccine. No, it wasn't. It was an injection. Vaccine, according to the Merck manual and every other medical uh, journal I've read, said a vaccine does two things. Number one, it prevents disease and confers immunity. It prevents disease and confers immunity. These things didn't do any of that. You've got to take an injection. I'm sorry, I'm giving away my position. Folks, listen. If you want to take anything into your body, that's your choice but it's got to remain. They demanded that if you work here, you got to do it. 
You know what some people did? Give it to me. Well, preacher, I don't think I should take it. I've done my research. I'm not comfortable, but I'll lose my job. You know what my dad used to tell me? There are some things worth more than money. In fact, my daddy used to say this. Son, don't you ever do or not do anything for money. He said, now, son, hear me. I said, dad, I get it. I get it. He said, no, I don't think you do. He said, hear me. Don't you ever do or not do anything just solely motivated by only money. Now, there's other motivations that factored in may cause you want to do a certain thing. But he said, don't ever do anything or not do something just for the monetary motivation. I said, Dad, I think I got it. Why do you say that? He said, because that's going to be the motivation of the Antichrist. He said, I know you're saved. You're not going to be here when he proposes this. But he said, I want you to understand, there will come a day and we're living it. In the 70s, my dad, you see, there will come a day when the motivation for taking the mark will be you don't transact business here unless you got it. By the way, I didn't like having to wear a mask on an airplane. But you know, I found me an out. It was awesome. They said, if you're actively eating or drinking, you can keep your mask down. <laughs> my wife said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to get my bottle of water. I'm going to take the cap off. And I'm going to sit there. And I'm going to sip on my water for six hours. <laughs> and when they come by and go mask, I'm going to go. <laughs> I did it, preacher. It worked. Listen, folk, there's all kinds of stuff prepping us as a culture for the arrival of the Antichrist. Aren't you thankful, those of us who know Jesus as Savior, going out of here? For that old bird shows up. Glory to God. With this, I close. Hmm. You ever wondered what it's going to be like the day after the rapture occurs? Just in the United States? Preacher, what do you mean? Anytime there is a notable event now in America, you've got to have a press conference by political leaders to address it. Some of those press conferences are good and necessary. Many of them are not needed. But they feel like they've got to say something. Folk, when the rapture occurs and People disappear off of airplanes. When the rapture occurs and cars are left abandoned on the interstate highways of America, when the rapture occurs and semi-rigs veer off the side of the road and erupt into flames if they're a tanker truck and there's no explanation and we can't find the driver, somebody's got to stay something. You ever thought about it, preacher? I have. I'm sitting at a traffic light. Aren't you glad the new cars, they have that brake assist thing on them? If you put your foot on the brake, it'll stay there until you hit the accelerator. So I'm sitting at a traffic light, waiting for the traffic light to change. Rapture occurs. You ever thought about that? Guy behind me, light changes. My white car just sitting there. He slams his door, comes up, looks in my window expecting to give me a piece of his mind. And all he sees is a pair of pants, you know, kind of. Two empty shoes, one of them kind of positioned on the brake a little bit. 
shirt hanging back over the back of the seat, a pair of contact lenses and a pair of glasses lying there. You say, really, you've got both? Yeah, these are just to help me read. But all that's, why would all that stuff still be in your car? Because it's not going, preacher. I'm not going to need it in heaven. Can I hear an amen? Yes. You say, preacher, it's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen just like that. Have you ever wondered what Nancy, I'm sorry, what Miss Pelosi is going to say the day Jesus comes back? You mean, Brother Dave, you don't think she's going? I'm no one's judge. But folk, forgive me. You can observe the fruit of somebody's life, can't you? With a broken heart, I say this. I have no confidence that she's ready. Can you imagine her meeting with her staff and saying, we've got to give an answer? Can you imagine her calling in all the leadership? Well, where's Louis? Louis who, Dave? Louis Gomert. That man is a walking encyclopedia of both Bible and history of the United States. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Love Congressman Louis Gohmert. Former federal judge, could be a preacher, knows the word. Will you take a two-hour, after-hours tour of the Capitol? It is a walk through history with that man. Where's Louis Gohmert? Nobody can find him. Where's Barry Loudermilk? Congressman from, nobody, it's like he's, where's Kathy McMorris Rogers from Washington? Can't find her. Well, we'll go ahead and start the meeting. We've got to say something to the American public because people are missing everywhere. Planes crashed, automobiles wrecked. Can you imagine some staffer who maybe grew up in church saying, Miss Pelosi, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but it's a young, young, young boy, I was in a Sunday school class or I heard my old country preacher stand up and say there's going to be an event happening in the last days called, I think it's the rapture when Jesus comes back and those people that were committed to Jesus Christ and had been forgiven of their sin, they were going to go out of this earth quickly. Maybe that's what's happened. Can you imagine if Miss Pelosi even had the understanding to do this she sent a runner over to the Library of Congress. I've been there. I've been in the reading room of the Library of Congress. Preacher, there's Bibles everywhere. Can you imagine pulling one off the shelf for the Library of Congress, carrying it back to the meeting? If they even know where to look. But see, you can Google now. So they Google on their phone. Where does it talk about this disappearance of Christians? Oh, it's 1 Thessalonians 4, and they turn. And they read... For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, those that are saved, that are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so Miss Pelosi says, well, you know, I don't have a better option. By the way, we've been trying to silence these Christians anyway. Now they're gone. So she takes it upon herself to walk in front of a microphone. Multiple ones. ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox News. 
Al Jazeera. Do you know if she were, to be honest? And she looked into the camera that carried her image across the United States and around the world. Do you know if she were honest about what she was to say? Do you know all she could say really would be four words? Four words. With the terror of hell on her face, as she looks into the camera, if she were honest, all she could say would be this. We have missed it. We've missed it. Because Jesus has come and gone. And you've been left behind. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, would you speak to us today? Lord, with everything that's in me, I pray no one would be so careless or so foolish as to push you away in the still small voice of your spirit at this moment. Lord, rather than doing that, I pray they would heed your word, which says very plainly that now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And Lord, if they don't know you, I pray today they'd come to you and be saved before it's eternally too late. And Father, for what you do, I'm going to thank you. Praise your matchless name. Now folks, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be brutally honest. What if, what if in the next 120 seconds, the next two minutes, that event I've preached about today were to happen? What if it were to happen? Do you know you'd go up to be with Jesus? Friend, I'm not asking, do you think you would? I'm asking, do you know you would? Do you know that if the rapture occurred in the next two minutes, do you know you'd go up to be with Jesus? If you can say, yes, Dave, I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I've been saved and I know if the rapture occurred in the next 120 seconds, I know I'd go up to be with Jesus because I know I've been saved. I don't have a doubt about it. Friend, if and only if you know that's true, you've been born again, you have no doubt about it. If the rapture occurred today, you know you'd go up. If you know that's true, would you lift your hand and hold it just as high as you possibly can? Hold it up just a moment. What an incredibly beautiful sight. You may put your hands down. Bless your heart. Second question, are there some in the room today, could be several, you don't know, you are not 100% certain, not willing to stake your eternal future on your uncertainty. No, you're not sure that if Jesus came back today that you'd go up to be with him, but you're concerned about that and friends, you need to be. You need to be deeply, eternally concerned. What I'm wondering is this, are you concerned enough that you'd let this preacher who's poured his heart out to you today pray for you? What I'd love to do is pray that before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus and be saved. It would be my honor and privilege to do that. Are there some in the room today, anyone in the room today that would say, preacher, you're talking to me right now? No, I don't know for sure that if the rapture occurred today that I'm going up. But yes, I do know this. I am concerned about my eternal future. And yes, preacher, I would like you anonymously to pray for me. 
Friend, I would never use your name even if I know it. Because God knows your name and everything about you. And friend, he loves you. I just want to have the privilege of praying for you if you're not sure you're going up. If the rapture occurred today. Is there anyone in the room that would say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Not sure I'm going up if the rapture occurred today. But yes, sir, please pray for me. If that's you, would you lift your hand long enough for me to see it anywhere in the room? Preacher, I'm just not sure. Not 100% certain I'm going to heaven. But yes, Dave, I'd like you to pray for me. Is there anyone like that? Anyone in the room? You'd lift your hand long enough for me to take note of it. Preacher, I'm not sure. All right, one final question. Before I pose it, I have to say this because I want you to understand where I'm going. So many people right now are approaching what's happening in our country and in our world this way. I've tied a knot in the end of my spiritual rope and what I'm doing is I'm hanging on till Jesus comes to take me home. In other words, I'm enduring, I'm enduring the world I live in. Can I tell you, that's not the way we're supposed to be living life. Can I use this illustration? On both of my trips to the Middle East, my son Nathan, the first time said, Dad, I know you're gonna wanna do it. He said, I've done it, but you need to understand what you're getting into. I know you're not going to want to ride the tram car from the bottom of Masada to the top. I know you're going to want to hike it. And he said, if I know you and mom, you're also going to want to hike it as fast as you can. You're going to want to set some kind of record. I said, well, bud, you know us pretty well. He said, then I would suggest this, that you get ready for the hike. So my wife and I purchased a workout routine an aerobic workout routine that we continue in a significant way to this day. When we got there to Israel and came from the Dead Sea North and stopped at Masada, everybody else boarded the tram, I said to our tour guide, I'm one of those that's going to hike from the bottom of the top. Is that okay? He said, absolutely. Just meet us such and such a place at the top. We did. I'm sure glad I trained for it. Let me tell you why. For our age group, we were told when we got to the top, this is a record for your age group. That was pretty cool. But what was really cool was this. I enjoyed the journey from the bottom to the top. I wasn't just trying to survive. I was enjoying the journey because I'd gotten ready. Christian friends, what I'm trying to tell you is this. This revival this week It's not about enduring anything. It's about getting ourselves ready so we can enjoy the journey between now and the rapture and in the process reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel. Are you ready spiritually? See, we have to train our bodies physically to be ready for the hike. Are you spiritually where you need to be? so you can be maximally effective between now and Jesus' return and actually enjoy the journey as you're reaching people for Jesus Christ. Are you where you need to be is what I'm asking. 
Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just to stand quietly to your feet. And I want to lay this simple proposition before you. If you can say honestly to your Lord, Lord, I'm not really ready. There's some things in my life I need to deal with. Maybe some attitude things. Maybe some habits. It may be some words said to a spouse or to a parent on the way to church today. But there's something in your life that's just not really right with God. And I need to make that right. Because I want to be spiritually ready to enjoy the journey. And in the process, reach as many people as I possibly can for the Savior. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm having the time of my life right now. I am. I'm having the time of my life sharing Jesus with people on Capitol Hill all over the United States and around the world. I'm having the time of my life. This is the moment for which I was both born physically and spiritually born again. The same thing is true for you. You were born and born again for this moment. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, if you can say there's some areas of my life I need to deal with that I need to make right, could I encourage you to do this right now as the musicians are playing? Would you be willing just to step out and come down around this altar and deal with that thing or those things in your life that are not right between you and the Lord so that you can be maximally ready to serve Jesus and enjoy the journey along the way. God bless you, man. How about you, friend? Would you be willing to come and just gather and God bless you? There's some things in my life that are not right. God bless you. Friend, what about you? Well, preacher, it's nothing major. No, it may not be something somebody else would think a whole lot about, but if the Holy Spirit's pointing it out to you in your life, that you, God bless you, that you need to deal with, would you deal with it? God bless you, sir. God bless you, man. Would you just deal with it this morning? Folk, we're living in strategic days. Critically important days. Days that just precede Jesus' sure return. Got to be ready for them. Be maximally effective. Anybody else want to join us? Lord, these are the things in my life that I need to deal with. I want to confess them today. I want to be right with you so that I'm maximally prepared for the days in which I live. Father, I want to thank you for a solemn reminder from your word as to where we are. And Father, I do pray. I do pray, Lord, because things are happening at breakneck speed right now. So much is going on. It's hard to even keep up with it all. But Lord, it's surely the time for which you have placed us. And Lord, it is a time for which you want us to be prepared. So Father, I pray your church, I pray your preachers, I pray we as your people would be maximally prepared for the days that are just ahead. And Lord, as we take tonight and the next several nights to just try to help people understand exactly where we are and precisely what's going on and why it's going on. Father, would you take scales off of our eyes so that we might comprehend, but Lord, more importantly, we might live in light of 
what we see and understand. And Father, for all you do, I'll be careful to give you praise, glory, and thanksgiving. And Lord, if there's someone watching online or here in the auditorium that's still not sure they're going to heaven, Father, please don't let them leave this property if they're here without speaking to someone and finding you, Jesus, as their Savior. People watching online, Lord, I pray they'd be motivated to call and seek help. Lord, I know in days gone by, that very thing has happened numbers of times. I pray it would happen again. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do. For it's in your precious name I do pray and ask all these things. And all God's people who prayed with me said, this little chorus before we go if you're watching my way of live stream today we do have some people that are waiting by the phone right now and uh, then there's a number on the bottom of your screen I hope you'll call that number right now 704-327-5662 what a message what a message we're looking forward to tonight but we have no guarantee that we'll be back tonight that event that he preached on may happen before the service this evening. And so, right before we go tonight, and folks are still getting some help. In fact, why don't we have a couple of our altar workers, if you want to tiptoe down while we sing this chorus. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. As Brother Dave was giving the invitation, I didn't raise my hand, but I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. Well, we're going to sing through this very familiar chorus today. And if you need to come, the altar's open. We'll have somebody down here with a Bible. And they'll be glad to meet with you and, and talk to you about how you can know. And so as a church, let's sing it together today. Ready? All to Jesus I surrender. glad you're in church this morning man what a message thank you preacher that's great wonderful 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 and you know what everything he preached is going to happen it's going to happen and i hope you're ready to meet the lord hey listen if you know somebody that's not ready why don't you do this why don't you invite them back tonight Invite, invite them back tonight. So 